It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. Sporting Goss with Tim Gossage. Morning, everyone, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Sporting Goss. The morning after, a disappointing night for West Coast Eagles fans. They blew me away with their performance. Don't think they were that bad, but I think North Melbourne were very good. I was expecting a pretty much a, a bounce-back win for the West Coast Eagles. It wasn't to be. Big show coming up. Really, really big show. A big focus on uh, football, of course. We'll hear from Adam Simpson. We'll hear from David Noble. We'll hear from David King, who will join us and run the ruler over the West Coast Eagles. He'll also give us a bit of a preview to Fremantle versus Geelong. The best producer in the business is special gay Chris Clefunas. We've got a big show coming up. Massive show. Huge. Justin Longmuir has spoken this morning as well, so we might hear from him if we have time because we're jam-packed. Trevor Gleeson, that was a bit of a shock yesterday, that announcement coming through that he's uh, departing the Wildcats and off to find new pastors in the NBA. Yes, we'll be chatting with Trevor Gleeson there. Just news just in, of course, the Boomers have beaten the US in a pre-Olympic tournament. That's right, the Boomers. Who needs Ben Simmons? And uh, they Chris Golding shooting them from half court, <laughs> the Melbourne United. And, of course, we are uh, watching at the moment Australia. look like they're going to go down 3-0 in the T20 series against the West Indies. Um, I wouldn't be too, getting too over the top about this. I mean, you know, the best of the best team is uh, not available, but uh, they would like to be making a few more runs, I'm sure. We'll keep an eye on that. What else have we got coming up, mate? International T20 is a weird one. I'd like to listen to uh, Adam Gilchrist's thoughts on that. Can't wait for Gillian Goss on Friday. Richie Smith, of course, the coach of Min Woo Lee. We'll catch up with him a little bit later on this hour, I think. So looking forward to catching up with Richie Smith. He's a great man. He's got so many golfers oh, in his stable, doesn't he? He's a golfing guru. He's down at Royal Frio. I'm going to ask him whether he's out and braving the elements today or whether he's just resting on his laurels and uh, has put the clubs back in the bag and uh, staying inside, of course. Surely well, he, the latter. Well, he's heading to Tokyo with Hannah Green and, and Minji Lee very, mm. very shortly, which is great because uh, he's the coach of those two girls. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, David King, what a win. Uh, can we go back to listen to what we said yesterday? By all means. Let's go back. West Coast win tonight. They'll go to 36. They'll be beating North Melbourne. They'll they'll win, even the weather. You'd win. think so. No, no. They, no, no. So. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I'm not as confident as you. They're North Melbourne, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So Have you seen West Coast play in the last couple of weeks? Oh, pretty rough. West Coast now. Yeah, I'm going north. Big shock loss coming, isn't it? You they smash me. Polax North Melbourne tonight. It'll be, you know what? Mm. Got a really good vibe. Cripps and Ryan will combine for 10 goals tonight. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a big, that's a big call. Oh, I wouldn't have thought that's happening. St Kilda have won their last three. Yeah. West good. Coast have lost their last two. Not least tonight. Fremantle have won three of their last four. On fire. So who's in trouble? West Coast. Okay. Big pat on the back to myself. Big pat on the back. Head wobbles going off the chain. <laughs> Chrissy Boy with the prediction of a lifetime. Oh, baby! <laughs> uh, very good. They weren't that good last night, were they? Well, as you said, they weren't actually terrible. But North were, were quite good. So anyway, looking forward to David King's thoughts on that. Matt Keenan, you're very quiet there, guys. Matt Keenan, SBS cycling commentator of the Tour de France, rolls on. Tyson Beatty. Star Spangled Banter will talk all things US sport. He'll be in the studio towards the end of the show. Might even touch on that Boomers game from this morning. 
Chris Gale has hit two of the biggest sixes you've ever seen in your entire life. Adam Zampa's bowled 2.4 overs, none for 28. Oh. West Indies are about to, uh, Gale's about to get to 50 off about 33 balls. The last six went 85 metres. It is a big show. If you do have an opinion on the West Coast Eagles last night, I'd love to hear from you on Sporting Goss today. You have a chance to come off the long run. You can text us 0487 736 736 or 131255 if you wish to come on the radio. Chris Gale, 54 of 53 balls, of 33 balls, 54 of 33 balls. He's held up the bat. It says the boss, and he's gone 6, 6, 6, <laughs> 33, 4 fours, 5 sixes. Two for 93, the West Indies chasing 142 for victory. Thanks, Chris. Oh, Get yeah. out there and man those phones. Look at that grey-flecked beard as well from Chris Gale. Still doing it. How old is he? 56? I can't believe he's still doing all right. Anyway, he's hit some fair big Dorothy's. There's no doubt about it. He's holding up the bat. Hashtag six machine. <laughs> the boss. He is so good. A former member of the Scorchers, of course. Well, don't blame me. I was keen on getting West Coast over the line last night. I thought they'd win. I thought they would respond to their recent performances. I thought they cracked in, but they didn't crack in as good as North Melbourne. Adam Simpson is the coach of the West Coast Eagles. He's not shying away from their issues. Here is his post-match interview last night to the WA media after last night's disappointing 10-point loss. To lose, um, I thought, uh, you know, we had good supply, especially in the first half. Probably didn't make the most of our chances, really. Um, we knew not what North was going to bring and they, we knew they'd been showing real grit all year and last four weeks in particular it's, it's lasted longer so we sort of knew it was coming um, our inability to convert in the first half um, we had a poor third quarter and then when we hit the lead in the last we, uh, we couldn't keep it in our front half so yeah we're, we're disappointed we're low on confidence um, so that's, uh, that's definitely something the effort was better this week um, but yeah, not making the most of opportunities. North have played a really good brand tonight, so you know they, they played good footy and they were not good enough. Being low on confidence, how's that playing itself out on the field? What are you saying? Oh yeah, oh, look, I suppose decision making, some you know unforced errors that we don't normally make. Um, you know, taking the game on a little bit more. We've been trying to do that, and some hesitation with that or a, a skill turnover. Hurts you the other way, so next time you get it, you're more hesitant. So, yeah, we've got to work through it. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's 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 football. That happens. You get down on form. So, my old coach send you down Puckle Street and buy some confidence. Um, it's pretty hard to do that. So, got to keep training hard. We need to look at the side. You know, see, see if we can mix it up a little bit going forward. Um, try and get players to perform better for for longer. You said during the week, judges on how we perform. On yeah. Night. Now that you've had the loss to the bottom team, how do you think you'll be judged? Well, that's your, that's your, you, how do you go how for you your ju- life. How do you judge the team? I just, yeah, like I just said, I thought, you know, there was periods there where we, we had dominance. We didn't make the most of it and we're low on confidence. So, um, yeah, there was better signs this week than last week, although we played a side that, you know, at home we should beat um, and we didn't. So we need to own that, of course. So, and we need to stick together. What levers have you got to pull up apart from the selection side of things? Is there much else you can pull at the moment, given their lack of confidence and some guys aren't as 100% fit you're working with? Them? Yeah, well, it's, that's all part of it. We need to review the game, have a look at the vision, see where we can get better. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll look at all those things throughout the week. So, 
yeah, it starts starts tomorrow morning when we review the game. There'll be a, a lot of fans now questioning whether is this the beginning of the end of, of what this era was. Yeah. Just you as a coach, how do you see that and, and where the team's I at? still think with this there's a bit more to give. You know, our, our best players probably aren't playing their best footy and their their talent hasn't gone. So we're gonna keep working on that. Um, we're not gonna give players free rides and we need to give some opportunities to to our youth as well. Um, but yeah, they're, they're still good players, so um, effort was better tonight, work rate was better, um, but we still got exposed at stages as well. And you spoke about the confidence, how do you begin to go about trying to get that back now? What, what processes do you put in place, what do you do around the club to, to bring that back? Well, we've got to be consistent, so we can't chop and change and, um, you know, we pivoted this week, did a few different things and now we'll stick to it. So. Train hard, um, be honest, um, select the right team and continue to grow and hopefully it turns. You've made so many changes over the past three weeks and you've spoken about trying to settle the team. Yeah. How do you balance that up now knowing that there are some changes that you probably need to make but that's going to unsettle it even more? Yeah, I think we've made 16 or 17 changes in three weeks which you know doesn't help. Um, some have been form and some have been injuries. so. Yeah, we can't keep doing that. We can't keep doing that. So we need to get the balance right uh, with our players and try and be consistent with selection as well. But, yeah, we need to look at players who are down on form and what can we do to help them get back into form because they're too good to stay low for, for, for that long. What happened with Yo Holmes looking badly during the last quarter? I think he rolled his ankle a couple of times in the last. So, yeah, he, he, he had ice on his ankle after the game. He, was, he reached one point for the goal. It might have just been he leaning forward, but he, can you rule out that he's... I, I couldn't. Uh, he had ice on his ankle, not his not his groin, I suppose. So we'll see how he pulls up. It's always how you pull up. Twenty four hours later with the groin. So how did was you at the moment with the team you're putting on paper versus what they're able, the able to put? Output. <laughs> yeah, the output they're able to actually physically yeah. do. Oh, I think it's understandable that we're all frustrated. The on paper we look good, uh, performance wise we're not. So. That's our challenge. It's the players' challenge. It's ours to try and get better. So um, there's no magic wand I can, no dust I can sprinkle. We just got to work hard, um, show the good stuff, and be honest with the bad stuff. How do you address the discipline tonight? It was a penalty. Yeah, look, it's frustration keep creeping in the game. I, we don't like it. Uh, it hurts us. Um, when the game's tight like it was tonight, we just missed opportunities in front of goal. We missed a few opportunities. With some undisciplined free kicks, so we need to we need to address that. It feels like you're looking to drag them up. Like you don't, you don't talk negatively about them. All really, you, you seem like you know they're like on conference. It's your job to drag them up rather than to talk about. Yeah. Issues. Well, I'm, I don't think I need to be critical just now. I think you guys will take care of that. So um, we've got to stick together. Yeah, we we I got their backs. Um, I mean, I'm, we're part of the solution as well as being honest with them. So we're not going around thinking we're going well at all. But, um, yeah, we've got to stick together. And that's a whole list, so we'll, we'll look at it, everything, uh, what we do. But we, we do need to be consistent. How do you handle that in the immediate aftermath of a performance like that? Stick to process. Yep, stick to process. And like I said last week, we did a couple of different things that um, we showed on the, on the field tonight that was positive, and there's some things that weren't positive. So consistency is what I'm looking for this week, and um, hopefully our performance gets better. Who are you guys at the moment who you feel like are in some form that might be able to lead this sort of resurgence with confidence and yeah, steer them out? It's, uh, 
Waffle Eagles has, you know, performed a lot better the last few weeks. Uh, we, we went down on the weekend late, but they're playing a better brand. There's more availability, um, albeit we've, we've lost a few soldiers the last 10 days or so. Um, so we'll look at that uh, and give opportunities, just like we did, I think, the Carlton game in Sydney. We got some real growth and spirit with the younger players playing, so we need to look at that as well um, and give opportunities to... Welcome back. 20 past 10. Tim Gossage with you until midday. Very shortly, Trevor Gleeson's going to join us on the text. Thank you. 0487 736 736. No name from this, but a message that says, Gov got to be dropped. Absolute liability down back. Harry Edwards straight back in from more accountable and is nowhere near as slow as what Gov is. Gee, they jump on uh, Jeremy McGovern. Four-year All-Australian up to 2019, was injured during the uh, COVID-shortened season last year and has been injured this year. Um, I agree that he's not in great form, but to call for him to be dropped, wow, that is big. And then all of a sudden, everyone wants to have a crack at his pay packet. You weren't complaining about his pay packet when he was winning premierships for you. Anyway, uh, and taking marks and match-saving changes. Anyway, uh, I suppose you're entitled to your opinion. This one is from Annoyed of Joondalup. A few things that went awry, awry, awry last night, but really what I didn't like was the back chat to umpires, 50-metre penalties from that, and also mindless moments of temper. I so get it's frustrating, but communicate it by better with the ball and your player. No booing from me, by the way. Yeah, I felt like they were they were feigning for freeze. I felt there's a lot of frustration towards the umpires. I don't think the umpires had a bearing on the result. I don't think the umpires had a great one. Umpire Del Gleish seemed to have uh, a penchant to take control of the game at all angles um, with experienced Dean Margetts out there and Dan Johansson, three West Australian umpires. I don't think the umpires had a bearing on the result. I don't think uh, umpire Margetts had a bad game. Johansson, I don't think. I think umpire Del Gleish wasn't one of his finest, but certainly not to blame. And I do think the Eagles players got a bit caught up in that as well. And uh, they were very, very feisty at times. Keep your opinions coming. 0487 736 736 or 1312 55. The West Indies are three for 119 in the 14th over. Last man out was Chris Gale. He was out for 67. Uh, Outstanding. I think he hit seven sixes. He was hugging and kissing everyone. The West Indies need 23 from 39 balls to take an unassailable 3-0 lead in the uh, Big Bash or T20 series with the West Indies against Australia at St. Lucia. Uh, St. Lucia. Uh, so that's not a great start to the series for Justin Langer and the Windies. It's 22 past 10. Now time to talk hoops. Well, we were all shocked, I think, with the news yesterday that five-time championship winning coach of the Perth Wildcats, Trevor Gleeson, has decided to chase that NBA dream. He's been kind enough to join us on Sporting Goss. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. G'day, Goss. Yeah, it's a little bit like that, isn't it? It's been um, you know, a fabulous journey for eight years. But uh, listen, when the NBA calls up, you've got to take that opportunity. You do. And this is a dream that you've had, not just in your coaching life, but in your, your young your young life. When you looked into the NBA bubble and you have a look at it and you saw the stars coming through as a young boy growing up, you think, gee, I'd like to attach myself there. And now's the time is right, yeah? Yeah, that's right. I was, you know, young 10-year-old looking at HBS 
tapes of NBA guys, and it was always a dream there playing. And and then I couldn't, I you know, that got shattered pretty early. And then the coaching, and and I suppose I've had a taste of it a little bit the last couple of years of going to Indiana for the summer league, and then playing against Utah Jazz and Denver Nuggets in the preseason. So um, yeah, it's probably got that fire a little bit, uh, a little bit warmer in the last couple of years. How long have you been sitting on this? When when did the phone first ring that you were throwing it around? And you know, obviously, you're still coaching. It probably hasn't didn't just happen overnight. How long has this been on the agenda for you, Trev? Oh, look, I've had relationship with coaches for over a couple of years. Um, you know, and that's this this happened just on the weekend. It, it goes really really fast. It was um, you know we started talking and then. Before it advanced too far, I said, well, I'm still on the contract here at Perth. And, and they said, well, you know, we can't talk to you any further if uh, you're under contract. So it was there, a hard phone call that I had to make to the new ownership group on Sunday Sunday morning and said, listen, I've got a, this opportunity in the NBA. Will you um, allow me out of the last year of my contract? And, and you know, the Perth Wildcats have been superb. They've, they've been absolutely brilliant and allow me to pursue, you know, a life lifelong dream and um you know they could have made it messy for us but they've been nothing but supportive and i can't talk high enough of craig hutchinson and the new group coming in you know the red army you are uh, under um great ownership coming in and obviously we had great ownership with jack Dad. you did and you produced the goods what did the wildcats teach you what did the eight-year journey teach trevor gleason and family yeah, look, when I first came, I was a little bit more angry coach. You might think I was angry on the sidelines now, but I was <laughs> back then it was... Um, and I was more open as a coach and give the players a lot of ownership out there. And I think that's the way the game and all all professional sports are gone. And when I started coaching, it was, you know, my way or the highway and, and jump on your bike and get out of here if you don't do it. And kids coming through here are a little bit different. And that's the something that I really wanted to do is give back the ownership to the playing group and just oversee it. And we had some great leaders there in Damo and Greg Hire and Sean Redditch and um, those guys really ran it and set the, the floor um, to build on. And that, that's something I'm going to look back on a basketball wise, but just the, the Perth community really embraced uh, our family, me and my family, especially with Dawn's, you know, pretty public uh, second breast cancer reoccurrence and, just the support we see through that and, and how they um, helped us out in a tough time. And, and hopefully we set up the pink game to to give back to the community. That's something we were very passionate about and I'm very thankful for the Perth to do that for us. Probably a question you don't need to answer, but I'll ask it. What type of coach does the Wildcats need right now? Yeah, look, I... You know, it's going to be a um, exciting time for someone to come in with. You know, you still got your, your foundation players and Bryce you build upon, and, and Mitch Norton and two great players you got locked up for the next two and three years. And you know, that's um, someone that can know. You know, we want to win without a question here at Perth, but they also support you, and it, it's a lot different than other teams. They want to win, but they won't support you um, in your decision making and following through and. Uh, Perth Wildcats do that. It's a class organisation and whoever comes in is going to get that support. New owners, some new look players and a new coach. 
the Wildcats fans and the Wildcats playing group and the Wildcats club are on this amazing streak of making playoffs. Is it wobbly? Oh, look, every year they, they, they always ride us off over the East Coast. And, you know, I remember two, three years ago, we'll sit and laugh at Christmas time. and Everyone was writing us off and, and not in there. And you're not, you're not forgetting the, the spirits here, the, the cultures here, uh, the values that they practice. Those things get overlooked and they're, they're very, very important to sustain success. And, um, you know, every year is going to be different, but uh, the, the foundations are still there. They haven't changed. So if you were to give a piece of advice to the sports entertainment group and Hutchie and the, and the crew, and of course, uh, I'm not going to bite the hand that feeds me. That's who I work for. Um, what would be the one piece of advice in regards to the Wildcats culture? You just say, if you can, hands off. Yeah, it's just to back back the coaches and, and let them have that freedom. I guess when I came in here, I was, you know, I didn't win a championship at all. I was worked in Townsville, and then a one year at Melbourne, I got fired. So I didn't really have that many runs on the board. And when I came in here for the ownership with Jack and, and Nick Marvin, and they backed us all the way through, and and that confidence, you know, reverberates through the organisation. And and I would say to the ownership, have confidence in the coach and especially when things go bad, back him all the way in and that uh, in turn gets confidence to the players and you get confidence in the players and that's when you start to get growth and start to get success. And, um, you know, if you don't have that and there's question marks all the way through, that's when you struggle. Trevor Gleeson, our guest, the outgoing coach of the Perth Wildcats. So we saw last week Mitch Norton have overtures to go elsewhere and it was pretty significant to go down to the new franchise Tasmanian Jack Jumpers. Obviously, the purse strings loosened a little bit to keep him in Perth, and that's a great decision, uh, and I get that. Um, did you talk to Mitch very quickly or briefly that not long after he signs that you go, and, and w- did you make calls individually to any players to sort of reaffirm? Because I'm sure you were one at the time was very keen to keep Mitch Norton in red. Oh, without a question. You know, Mitch and I have a great relationship, and even going back to his teenage years in Townsville, and mm. when we used to work him out, um, you know, behind the closed doors, and and we've built that relationship up. And and look, I didn't know this opportunity was going to present itself when I was talking to Mick, uh, Mitch and trying to keep him here. I've always been open and honest with the players and always had the hard conversation. And, um, you know, and that's hopefully something we respect. But, uh, yeah, I was always hopeful something happened in the NBA, but I certainly didn't have this in the back back pocket ready to pull out at some time. And, and um and with the players, you know, I had a great conversation with Bryce yesterday. He's in New Zealand holiday at the moment. And, you know, he was thrilled. He was over the moon. And I obviously rang Mitch up and I rang um, Jesse up and just wanted to give them the personal personal information because they've, they've been on the journey with me all the way through. And, you know, I was so happy this morning. I got a phone call from America and it was James Innes reaching out and, James is one of our first imports and helped us win that first championship when I was here at 2013-14. And, um, you know, it's great just to have those relationships ongoing and something that I'm going to value uh, all the way through. In regards to the Wildcats this year, Trev, where you didn't get the job done, and but all be so courageous against the odds, your player personnel got hit hard for whatever reason, and United probably were the best team uh, and at the right time of year, had their best available. Um, you can say it now. Not having Bryce Cotton cost you the championship. 
Yeah, look, uh, you, you might say that we weren't successful, and, and that would be true on the books, but the, I don't think there's been a prouder moment in my coaching career how this team um, made the playoffs and made the final. We were 0-1 down in the semi-final, had to go to Wollongong, eight points down in the third quarter, and Mitch Norton, one of our star players, also goes down and can't play anymore. And to win that game without Mitch Norton and, and then the following game to get in the final was unbelievable. And look, all we needed was a half half fit somebody and then um, Luke Travers went down and Clint Steindl went down and it was just, we were stretched too thin. But, uh, you know, I, I was so proud of that team, even though we didn't win the championship. They gave everything they possibly could. Um, and that's as a coach, that's all you ask. Play, play as hard as you can and play for the teammate beside you and then the name on the front of the jersey. And if you're not good enough, you shake a man's hand. But uh, we, we certainly did that. What's the process now for your departure? How long, when, where, why? Yeah, well, we're just getting into the process now that obviously that um, I can continue the talks with uh, with the NBA team and hopefully that in the next couple of days we'll be able to um, come to a, uh, a little bit more information on that. And, <laughs> and really, they've got the NBA draft at the end of this month and I'd love to be over there in the uh, end of the room when they're, they're going through that draft process and then they've got their summer league in August, so um, things will move pretty quickly. Toronto? Well, I love palm trees. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah, look, i, I got to go through that process and um, hopefully the weather's similar to Perth. I'm going to really miss the lifestyle over here, mm. but, uh, yeah, I'll have to keep my hat uh on that one. Yeah, um, I, get, I, I understand. I don't understand, but I, w- I would be derelict in my duty not to ask the question. Uh, <laughs> hey, Trev, just the last couple. I really appreciate your time, and, and we're all going to miss you here, and we know that, and I know you're going to miss us just as much as you. Um, uh, we're going to miss you. Just in regards to um, going from the coach and animated as you are, the voice, uh, the barometer often about the Wildcats at home Red Army, and when you're an assistant coach, and I'm assuming you're going as an assistant coach into the NBA to start with, I assume. I'm only assuming. But if you are an assistant coach, that's hard. That's a big that's a big change in theatrics and demonstratives and languages and actions on game night. How are you going to go being handcuffed and seat belted? Yeah, it's got to be a transition without a question. But I've had a little bit of... Uh, um, experience with that with the Australian team, you know, over the last four years at the World Championships and the Rio Olympics where you you got to hold your tongue and you can't have that banter with the referees. And, um, yeah, I'm just excited to be there and, and to be a part of it and work with the best athletes in the world and the best coaches in the world and, um, you know, and bite my time. And when it's time to stand up and stick up for your players, I'll do it. But otherwise, I'll, uh, I'll um, do the role the best as I can. Last one for you, mate. What are you going to miss the most? Yeah, it's, we often talk about rings and, and championships, everything, but it's the relationships. I'm, I'm really going to miss, you know, like I said, Perth embraced us, especially with, uh, with Dawn breast cancer reoccurring and just the support and the friendships. You know, we, we didn't have any family here in Perth, but we have friends that are going to be lifelong friends and, that's the biggest part. We're not going to see the, the regular people that we regularly see. And, 
And, you know, just the lifestyle here in Perth, a lot of people in Perth don't know how good it is. It's the best, it's the best place to live in the world. And uh, we'll always call Perth our home. And um, hopefully that uh, we can come back in a few years and, and enjoy the Perth once again. Yeah, well, I'm sure the uh, red carpet will be rolled out for you, great man. I know the Wildcats have still got their end of season uh, function to be had, and I'm sure you'll be fated at that. Hopefully you're still in town for that. Uh, just one real quick one. When you chatted with Bryce Cotton in New Zealand, he didn't say anywhere in the conversation, I'll see you over there in a couple of years, did he? <laughs> yeah, look, look, Bryce can play in the NBA. I've, I've got no doubt about that. But, yeah, he's here for the next couple of years, and, uh, it's going to be fun times. He's a quality person and, um, you know, a phenomenal player, an unselfish player, and um, and I wish him all the best. And um, maybe one day you'll get a shot again in the NBA. Mate, thank you. Thank you from all of the Wildcats fans. Thank you from my personal point of view in my time at Channel 10, uh, which ended, of course, just under 12 months ago. You're always available. You're always willing to... To give a headline, you called it how it was. Always enjoyed our banter, mate. And uh, I kept you honest. I think you kept me honest and you kept the media honest, but you also provided <laughs> plenty. You're a good man and um, good things happen to good people. And congratulations on the NBA journey, mate. Thanks, guys. I love the support, mate. And uh, you guys have made it a fun journey. And I want to thank for all the support and listeners out there for the sport along the way. And I'll always be a Perth Wildcat and support you all the way through. Five-time championship winning coach of the Perth Wildcats heading to the NBA and kind enough to give us time on the Sporting Goss here on SEN. Looking for Lillard. Durant a three. Too strong. And Delvadova with a great punch out to Ingles for the exclamation point. Australia up by eight with three seconds left. And it's two straight losses for Team USA in Las Vegas. 91 to 83 boomers. What a performance by the Aussies in the second half. In particular, that third quarter. The end of that third quarter, they went on a run with Patty Mills on the bench. And then in the fourth quarter, they were the better team. They were the better executing team on both ends of the floor, but particularly on the offensive end. And a win, a great win, a great win for them. But, you know, this this is one of the best teams in the world, Australia. Yep. And so, um, you know, not as shocking, I would say, as the Nigeria loss in that sense. Um, but certainly, uh, we still see the areas of growth that, that need to happen for the USA in the next couple weeks uh, for them to, to win the gold in Tokyo. That is the great news coming on the back of the Boomers beating Team USA. And news just in, the West Indies, four for 142, have won in the 15th over by six wickets. Game three of the T20 series with Australia. Australia made 141. The Windies, six for one, uh, four for 142. Chris Gale with 67 man of the match honours. We'll get a breakaway, come back. Richie Smith's going to join us next. He is the coach of Minwoo Lee, who took out the Scottish Open and gets a ticket in the Open Championship. He's a WA golfing coach who has a great start stable of young talent and WA has some of the finest young talent on the world golfing tours around the world. He'll join us next. This is Sporting Goss. What a way to seal the deal as Min Woo Lee claims a second European tour title and becomes a Rolex series winner. It was an awesome day. I was pretty proud of the way I played. Um, six birdies in a row. That was that was sweet. Uh, just kind of happened really quick. And then, um, you know, I could have held a few more parts. I mean, uh, in regulation, I missed it by, you know, just a roll. And 
it was kind of painful, but you know we regrouped and you know it's the tournament starts in the playoff pretty much. And Love you too. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it's crazy. So that was Sunday night, Monday morning our time. Minwoo Lee winning the Scottish Open. His reaction. He's off to the Open Championship, and I'm sure there's no prouder man in the world of golf right now than Royal Fremantle golfing coach and coach of Minwoo Lee and so many others. Can you give me your reaction, Richie Smith? I think I fist pumped as hard as he did. I was um. I was so happy for him. I mean, it was, it was almost three o'clock in the morning when he won. Um, so I was probably a little bit tired and emotional anyway. But uh, yeah, I was um, yeah really happy for him. I knew I knew that uh, this is going to change everything for him. Uh, he'll now get into with this with this jump up in rankings. He'll get into world championship events and he'll get starts on the PGA Tour. So. Uh, which is, you know, ultimately where he wants to be, competing against the best players. So, uh, yeah, I was just really happy for him. Yeah, you know, these kids put, give up a lot in their in their childhood to um, to chase this dream, and you know, he's he's certainly one of those kids. And... That's huge, isn't it? I mean, yes, you get the title, yes, you get the ticket into the championship, but that mental bounce back to beat two blokes, one on his home deck predominantly in Fitzpatrick, and Dietrich as a, a seasoned campaigner. That's a huge time for Minwoo. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. He's um he's a real he's a different cat, Min. Um, <laughs> he's able he's able to perform. He actually performs better when the limelight's on him. He's uh, he loves the limelight and he and he he wants the the hard competition. Mm. He's actually he struggles when the competition is weaker, and he struggles when there's no galleries. He struggles to get himself up. So. Now that he's in the world top 60, um, or close to the world top 60, I think, he's going to find he's playing in much bigger events with much bigger crowds and a lot more um, attention on him. I think his form's going to be... Well, it's just going to improve. So um, he's a lucky boy in that regard. He's got an asset that most people just don't have. So it's going to be exciting. In a nice way... Is he a bit Hollywood? We've seen photos on his social where he's lying out in a net in a net jet, you know, stretched out like he's Hollywood. Obviously, making his way to London to go play in the Open, and he's sitting there on his phone, and he's he was ghosting my texts the other day, and I said, "Mate, I remember you when you were a nobody." So, how about you jumping on the show and stuff like that? Um, is he a bit Hollywood? But that it does is that a good thing? I don't know if he's Hollywood. I think he's uh, he enjoys the limelight, but I. I, I um I don't think he'd tell you how good he was. I think he's he's pretty he's still um, he's still pretty down to earth in that regard. Him and yeah, you know, if he did if he was like that, his sister would certainly sort that out pretty quick. Um, so, and I'm pretty sure his mum and dad would too. Yeah, so, um, yeah. I don't know. It's just a really social social kid who likes to have a bit of fun. And um, I think what you're seeing with his with his posts and um, just uh, with his attitude around his win is he's just having fun. And, um, yeah, I think some people will see that they'll, they'll take that the wrong way and, um, you know, it'll probably be brought back in the line pretty quick. But, yeah, at the moment he's just riding the wave and he's having fun and, you know, he's off to the open and you never know what will happen. Yeah, so he should enjoy it. Absolutely. He, he's very funny because every time I've interviewed him, whether it be at a Golf WA event or, you know, in a, in a, or sent out a young journo to do an interview, I always say to them, don't say your – don't introduce him as Minji Lee's younger brother. He just does not like it. He wants to stand on his own two feet. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's his own man. 
I don't know. I think, you know, he's funny. He's a funny kid because, uh, you know, every coach loves him. So, you know, he's got, um, he's got people that he worked with and everyone loves him. And I think it's just because of his social nature. Yeah. And, um, it's not, it's not, uh, it might be confidence, but I don't think it's overconfidence. And I don't think he's, um, he's not big known himself. He's just, he's just a fun social kid. And I'm sure. You know, we've all seen those kids. Yeah, he's a really good kid. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, arrogant, he's not. He's just a fun young man. Um, what can he do at the Open? I know you're there and you soak it up. Uh, you know, he's on this massive high. It was a huge financial uh, boon to him as well. It was a massive result financially for him. It opens up a whole lot of opportunities for him. The second win on the European Tour. But what can he do at the Championship? Um. It's a really hard question because he's in he's in territory that he's never been in before. So you know he won he won in Victoria, and I think um, that was just before COVID hit. So we don't know how he backs up his performances mm. after a win. So we'll um, so his the attention's going to be on him. Uh, he's going to see things and be in a situation that he's never been in before. Who knows? I actually, I actually don't know. It's like a toss of the coin. He'll do really well or he'll blow out, but. Either way, he's going to learn a lot, right? So um, um, I'm excited for him. Richie Smith, our guest on Sporting Goss. You must have been pumped that young Josh Greer, who's another one of yours in your camp, that young Joondalup amateur was greenside over there. He was over there playing in some amateur events over there in Scotland. He was greenside and cheering on Min. Uh, that would have been a huge buzz for Josh and also probably life-changing for him as well as a young man trying to make his mark in the golfing fraternity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be great for both of them. He's a, he's a really good player, Josh, and... Um, yeah, I think to watch his mate, a kid that he competes really evenly with over here, um, win and win such a big event, it's a huge buzz. And I think it was actually a buzz for um, Min too, because Josh should be pretty vocal out in the crowd, and um, it's always nice to have a friend out there. We spoke to Hannah Green on the show, who was in the last days of her lockdown in Adelaide before coming back, and she said, first person I see when I get there and I just got to pick up clubs, I've got to chat, is Richie Smith. Have you had that chat with uh, Hannah Green yet on her return after so far what has been a great year? Yeah, she's still, she's got another day in quarantine. So um, I'm, I'm, I think she arrives back late Wednesday night and I'm, um, I'm seeing her at 8 o'clock Thursday morning. So <laughs> we'll, we'll catch up and, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's the Olympics. So this, this event is, uh, for her, it's bigger than majors. It's... Um, it's a one opportunity to wear the green and gold and you only get it every four years and it may never happen again. So she's really, really focused on doing well there, as is Vinci, but she's, um, yeah, she wants this, she wants this medal and um, she's going to work hard to get it. Uh, last couple for you, Richie. Richie Smith, our guest. Uh, coach to the Stars, Royal Frio coach and uh, state coach for a long time, arguably the best coach I think Australia has got going around the golfing world and very understated. Hannah Green, Minji Lee, Minwoo Lee, Jared Felton, Hayden Hopewell, we know we've got big hopes. You've talked about Josh Greer. You've also got Maddie Hinson Coulchard in your group as well. Just in regards to that, that core group, Richie, you must just sit there and go, wow. I mean, as much as you've had a huge influence over them, that must just bring you back to the office every day looking at that lineup and that stable. Yeah, it does. It's um, look, I'm, I'm really lucky. I've got a whole heap of kids that, that want to do well and they train pretty hard. It's funny, you, you turn up to work and you go, geez, I just don't want to stuff these kids up. So if, um, 
you know, you're motivated by their success, but you're also motivated to get better because you don't want to screw them up. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can continue to go the way we have. They're, um, they're all really good kids and they work hard and they deserve every reward they, they get. How is Minji going? Uh, everyone says the the best golfer in the world not to have won a major. Well, I think that's how I read it the other day or heard it on the coverage. Uh, how's she coping with her role at the moment in, in on the women's tour, still in the top 15 in the world, so she's no slouch, but how's she going seeking that, that big-time win, that breakthrough victory? Yeah, I think um, well, this year's been hard. Um, yeah, I think she's struggled for a bit of motivation at times. I think she's... Uh, just working she's working as hard she's probably lacking a little bit of the intensity that you need to perform at the highest level but I think um last last couple of weeks has been a, a couple of green shoots coming out and um, I think she's, she's starting to fire up a bit I, you know this, this Olympics is a big thing and um I think the whole year she's been thinking about that and how she's going to best uh, prep for it so uh I think over the next few weeks uh, she'll really try to um, fire up her prep, and and I think uh, you know having me and Hannah in the same house as her over in Japan will be real uh, beneficial for her as well. And I think um, we can look forward to a really good performance over there. Exciting time for you, Richie. Uh, well done. Congratulations on getting across uh, with the force uh, Minwoo, but getting across there for the Tokyo Games. Exciting time for you, mate. Yeah, I know it's a very different Olympic Games, but. You must be still pretty pumped to get across there and uh, and be involved in a, an Olympic campaign. Yeah, I'm stoked. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I don't think anyone's ever they're going to look back and say it was a COVID year and um, that the field was weak. I don't think anyone's ever going to think that. So if we can bring home medals, then um, it was an Olympic medal. It wasn't a uh, Olympic medal with an asterisk. As far as I'm concerned, we're going there to win. Yeah, yeah. Competition remains the same. Hey, good on you, mate. Congratulations. Uh, on your efforts and uh, back to work. Uh, you're out and about today, mate, in the weather? No, I decided to take the day off. It's a bit, a bit rough out there. <laughs> Good on you, coach. Nice example. Uh, appreciate your time. Yeah. Well done, mate. Thanks for taking our call. Thanks, Tim. Richie Smith, outstanding, outstanding coach and coaches, as I mentioned. What about those names? Hannah Green, Minji Lee, Minwoo Lee, Jared Felton, Hayden Hopewell, Josh Greer, big tick, and Maddie Hinson Coulthard as well. If you want to know how good he is as a coach, just continue to follow that group and follow him in Tokyo. This is the Sporting Gossip. Well, I looked on Twitter to see the fallout last night of the West Coast Eagles' shock 10 point loss here at Optus Stadium. And I saw David King, and I was waiting for this big, long, big piece of gloating and all it was was a little blue love heart and a little white love heart david king joins us from the sen crew and of course fox footy kingy you must be incredibly proud today i know you're i know you're meant to be an unbiased media man but you can't be after last night no i don't even know if you have to be unbiased i think these people know that uh, you've spent most of your life at a football club i think you're entitled to cheer them home when they're going through a bit of a rough trot and rebuilding so uh, it was awesome. It was great to see these young kids get some reward. I mean, it's been a tough year for them. Um, and the coach. I mean, the coach needs a bit of a bit of bit of love as well. So no, it was it was great. It was great to see a quality battle in the wet. What have you done with your weather over there, you guys? You've just ruined things. <laughs> we haven't got lockdown. We've got yeah, nothing. Well, We've got normality, but no one can go outside because <laughs> it's belting down all the time. <laughs> no, nah, it made for a good game, didn't it? I think we enjoyed. The Monday night spectacle, we enjoy that this season. You just don't know what you're going to see when you, you turn any given game on. 
Um, it had it all last night. It did. Um, now, let's turn our attention just away from your mob at the moment who are rejoicing, and uh, it was a great win, and they're, and they're relishing uh, the time in the limelight. But let's talk about your old mate, Adam Simpson. How do you reckon he's feeling this morning after three losses in a row? And uh, they've all been pretty ordinary. Yeah, look, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, you, you start to think, is it, has he shown too much faith in the same names? Is it the end of an era? Have they gone too far and um, and stuck too fat? You know, I, I don't know whether that's the case. Only he would know that. But, you know, there'd be some doubts as to whether it's the philosophical way that Simo wants to play the game. Has that now run its race? Um, you know, something's got to give. At the end of this, something's got to give. And you know, change is required because clearly what they've, what they've been doing isn't working. Uh, he'd be scratching his head as to which way to go from here. Um, but the one thing that is apparent and is easy is they're still in the race, uh, but something needs to drastically change. I'm not sure you throw, you know, the baby out with the bathwater, but maybe maybe playing a bit more adventurous, maybe opening things up a little bit may help. I thought they were different last night. I was calling the game with Paul Hazelby, and he noted a, a distinct change to try and get it quicker and, for the best part, a bit more direct and not so much lateral stuff. Uh, the condition's probably not conducive to that and maybe... You know, they could have gone back in their shell. They took the game on, and for that brief moment, that 10-minute patch of the last quarter, they attacked. They got four goals. They got a bit lucky with one of them, Tim Kelly's bouncing goal. And the old North Melbourne might have folded up and made it a bit easier for West Coast. But, gee, they stuck hard, and there were a couple of moments late where West Coast seemed to unravel. Nick Natanui or whoever it was not down there contesting that mark for Goldstein in the mm. goal square, that seemed to have got a lot of uh, headlines there, Kingy. So from an outsider looking in and looking from the outside, did you see any change at all in West Coast style? No, it certainly looked, it looked to be a bit quicker. I'll, yeah. I'll agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I, I still have, you know, just in the back of my mind that maybe the best teams in the comp at the moment are moving the ball either super quick and, and short, sharp little kicks, you know, really fast, creating, creating constant flow, or they're handballing teams. So look at Sydney, who are all the rage at the moment. Everything's quick, everything's slick. Now, the Dogs, yep, they got beaten on the weekend by a slick Sydney, but their aggressive handball game, their overlap game, and the Cats can do it when they play a contender. Um, so I, I just, I think that, I think that you've, you've got to have a look at, is the slow method going to work at the pointy end of, of the season? Not just this season, but trying to, you know, trying to be futuristic, if you like, and work out whether this has now run its race. Do you need to embrace a different model uh, and, and I probably think you do. Uh, the possession and control game is probably being beaten far too regularly. Even when, even when Geelong go down that path, they look a fraction vulnerable. So maybe it's a, maybe it's a turning of the page for Simo and the crew. Jeremy McGovern's been absolutely lambasted, uh, and I know we don't believe everything we read on social media, and I'm on a hiatus from Twitter, so I'm actually feeling good about myself, uh, Kingy. Um, but Jeremy McGovern, <laughs> one of the highest paid players in the competition, everyone, you know, we saw that last week, everyone's pulling out dollars and cents, and is he worth it, and should they trade him on now? He's been terrible for the last year and a bit and the like. This is a bloke who won four All-Australians in a row and was a key player in a premiership win that was the only win that uh, any other team but Richmond have had. Gee, they've come quick for you, don't they? Oh, that's just ridiculous. I mean, I haven't heard that noise over here. Um, and to be honest, if he was to 
if he wanted to vacate, uh, there'd be a, it'd be every club in the country coming for him. I mean, he's a, he's a star. It's so hard to get good players. It's so hard to get players of, of that quality. Yeah, okay, didn't, he's made some mistakes. Uh, we all do. The conditions really didn't uh, didn't suit him last night. But you know, I, I think he's having another solid season. Is it at the heights uh, of years gone by? Probably not. But we still look at his intercept numbers. You know, they're, they're, they're through the roof. He's averaging what, what's he averaging? Uh, three and a half intercept marks a, a game, which is which is in the elite bracket of the competition. He wins the ball back seven or eight times a week. I mean, that, they're pretty strong numbers um, by comparison to a Harris Andrews or you know Jake Lever's the, the number one at the moment. But he's he's more of a flanker type than intercept. So I think the criticism that comes it comes really quick in the, in the modern game. We've got a lot of people analysing or looking for a headline um, and sometimes it's a little bit just slightly off off beam. I think this one's a bit uh, bit too strong David for Jeremy King. too quick. Yeah, David King, our guest on Sporting Goss here from SEN and, of course, Fox Footy. Love his stuff. Uh, passionate North Melbourne man, but we are dissecting what he's seeing from afar in the regards to the West Coast Eagles. So you're, you, I sense you're still a believer in West Coast. You, uh, albeit they're hanging on by the skin of their teeth. St Kilda are coming. And, you know, you can't write off a couple below them. The Giants, Essendon, maybe still even Richmond. Fremantle are above them on the ladder. That hurts if you're an Eagles man. Um, what, 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 what tweaks have to be made with six weeks to go? Well, I think the biggest question is, do you do what John Longmire did with Sydney and say there's no point finishing seventh or eight on the table? This is a premiership business. And take your punishment now. Turn the page, play some kids, change your style, develop for the back half of the season, and don't fight tooth and nail for what will be probably a one-week campaign through a final series Mm. anyway. I mean, does anyone really give the seventh or eighth finishing team a, a realistic chance of being a contender or getting to a, a prelim final, I, I doubt it. I think they'll make up the numbers this year. I think there's been a clear separation between the top six and, and the, the next dozen. So Simo's choice for me or the decision that they've got to make is, do we start the process now or do we fight tooth and nail to finish seventh or eighth? And I think that that's... that's uh, I think you'll come to the, the realisation that this campaign is probably over with this group uh, and it might be time to get rolling now. So does that include making some tough decisions in the short term with some experienced campaigners who I think will go on their terms? And I talk of Shannon Hearn, maybe even Josh Kennedy. Um, not too sure that there's too many else, uh, too many others in that group as well. Or And you just say, look, go away, let's put it in cotton wool. Or do you make the call to say... We're not going to play you going forward, and are you going to? And you're more than likely not going to play beyond this year. I mean, that's a pretty tough call to 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 to, to make on two blokes who have done so much for the footy club. Yeah, but it's always the old guys that pay the price, isn't it? At the end of every campaign, you know, there comes a point where you got to say, okay, where, where to now? I mean, they've had fantastic careers; they've been unbelievable. And instead of saying get them out, you say thanks, you know. And, uh, there's no shame in what they've done. All those guys you've mentioned, there's absolutely no shame. But there's a handover period that is ready there now. I mean, Oscar Allen's ready to take control of this forward line with Jack Darling. Yeah, there's no shame in in saying to Josh Kennedy, "Hey, thanks, you've been enormous, but we've run aground. We need it. We need to get on with things." Shannon Hearn, you've never seen a more selfless um, former captain in your life. So. 
you know, you just celebrate these guys on the way out, if that is to be. Um, and then find out what you've got on the list. Is the next wave of talent good enough? That's the challenge that you, you've always got to be finger on the pulse. Mm. Uh, I think the back half of the season gives you that opportunity. Last couple for you, King. Appreciate your time. Luke Edwards was the medical sub last night. He's played a couple of games. He played a blinder uh, against Richmond late in the game where he uh, yeah. goose-stepped uh, Cochin, I think. It was the beginning of the end for Trent. Yep. <laughs> um, will I say, would you play him in Adelaide? For, is Simo, you know him. And I work a little bit with him as well, in a, in a, you know, <laughs> do a bit of media with him uh, for, for West Coast Online. You know him. Is there enough theatre in Simo to take Luke Edwards to Adelaide to play against the Adelaide Crows, a team that Luke's dad was an absolute superstar for? Will Simo play on that at all, or is that not in his wheelhouse? Oh, I don't think right now. I, I think there's there's bigger concerns right now. You've got to get your game going, got to get... Got to get your competitiveness back. Got to got to find that that little that missing two or three percentage points. That's the gap at the moment. So I don't think you can get consumed by that sort of stuff. But in saying that, when the two Edwards boys and Foley were in there and yep. playing some pretty good footy, they looked all right. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes sometimes youth can surprise you. You know, that inexperience can come in with a bit of enthusiasm and something different, a bit of a spark, if you like. Put some pressure on some of the older guys that they they look around and see, okay, hang on, there's some other decisions being made here. So I, I think going young will never let you down, but he won't do it sheerly on the fact that that uh, his old man played for the Adelaide Crows. <laughs> Damn it, I, I like a bit of I like a bit of theatre. Uh, last one, we're doing it all again in a couple of days. Right here, bizarre no weekend footy in WA, but. A Monday night and a Thursday night. Geelong coming across here to take on Fremantle. I know you like where Fremantle are going. I know you like the way that they look uh, under Justin Longmuir. They played probably their best four-quarter game on the weekend, albeit against a mediocre opposition in Hawthorne. They take on Geelong, who is certainly right up there as a contender. But they've got to come across here, Geelong. They've got to come across here off a short break. What's your vibe on that game on Thursday night? Well, I've been a little bit critical, to be honest, Goss, of, of Fremantle to date. I mean, if you have a look at what they've beaten, they've beaten 18th, 17th on the ladder twice, 16th, 15th, 14th, and they beat the Sydney Swans by two points back in round 10. They're the only team they've beaten in the eight. So let's find out who Fremantle are. They sit eight and eight. They've got Geelong, Sydney, Richmond, Brisbane, the Eagles and St Kilda coming home. It's a, it's a horrid, horror run coming home, but I want to find out who they are because have they made some ground? Yes, they have. Have they made um, considerable ground? I'm not sure. So I want to find out what they're like against the best. Their record against the best has been pretty poor. They're one and five against top eight teams with a percentage of 70. So let's find out. So Thursday night, I invite all the heat and you get a little bit on Twitter, the house of feedback. Um, So if 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 they get the job done, I look forward to it lighting up. But I've just got my doubts on, on, on have they bridged the gap enough on the best teams in the competition this year. We look forward to Thursday night, the game. You'll hear it on AFL Nation. And we'll also look forward to seeing the Twitter feed, the thread, as they call it, <laughs> Kingy. Hey, good man. Good chat. Uh, when do we see you on the, on the telly? What, what's the role for you in the next couple of days on Fox? Yeah, I'll be on tomorrow night with AFL 360 and back for the weekend with the boys. Hey, you're doing a great job over there, mate. I'm loving your work. It's uh, it's different. 
<laughs> it's, it's it's more informative for the West Australian teams for us stuck over here. So we haven't been over there this year, which has been a bit disappointing. So hope you're going well. Good on you, King. Appreciate you taking our call, mate. All the very best, and uh, thanks for joining us. On you, guys. He's a good man, David King, and he's up and about. Kangaroos got the job done last night by 10 points in a massive upset, but he's not exactly throwing the baby out with the bathwater with the West Coast Eagles, but does believe the next six weeks will define the club going forward. And as for Fremantle, the proof's in the pudding. We'll know more Thursday night. This is Sporting Goss. 21 after 11. Thanks for your company. This is the Sporting Goss. A couple of results in from this morning. The West Indies have taken the five-game T20 series 3-0 in the best of five, of course, but already 3-0. Chris Gale with 67 man of the match honours. Australia made six for 141. The West Indies, four for 142 in just under 15 completed overs. The Boomers are defeating Team USA, 91-83. Paddy Mills with 22, Ingalls 17, Thibault 12, and Chris Golding 11. Nine rebounds to Nick K, seven to Jock Landau in an upset win over the Team USA, who have now lost their last two in a pre-Olympic warm-up. So there's a couple of sporting results for you. Marcus Rashford, I want to play this to you. Marcus Rashford, of course, was one of the beaten brigade for England in the Euro 2020. He has penned a letter to the football world, the sporting world, and anyone who wants to read it. And speaking of reading, we've got our man Chris Clafunas to voice the letter verbatim after England's penalty shootout loss and Marcus Rashford, Marcus Rashford and his views on his role in that team's defeat. Have a listen. Pressure on a 19-year-old. But now Italy win. They're European champions for only the second time. 53 years after the first, a long wait is over for the Azzurri, but not for England. It's deja vu for Gareth Southgate. Mancini's men have come to Wembley and in the long haul tamed the three Lions. It's going Rome, Alan. I don't even know where to start and I don't even know how to put into words how I'm feeling at this exact time. I've had a difficult season. I think that's been clear for everyone to see and I probably went into that final with a lack of confidence. I've always backed myself for a penalty, but something didn't feel quite right. During the long run-up, I was saving myself a bit of time, and unfortunately, the result was not what I wanted. I felt as though I had let my teammates down. I felt as if I'd let everyone down. A penalty was all I'd been asked to contribute for the team. I can score penalties in my sleep, so why not that one? It's been playing in my head over and over since I struck the ball, and there's probably not a word to describe how it feels. Eyeball to eyeball. Rashford is ready. A stutter. Oh, he's missed it. Too much deliberation. And they're back on an even keel, these two sides, yet again. Final. 55 years, one penalty, history. All I can say is sorry. I wish it had gone differently. Whilst I continue to say sorry, I want to shout out my teammates. This summer has been one of the best camps I've experienced, and you've all played a role in that. A brotherhood has been built that is unbreakable. Your success is my success. Your failures are mine. I've grown into a sport where I expect to read things written about myself, whether it be the colour of my skin, where I grew up, or most recently, how I decide to spend my time off the pitch. 
I can take critique of my performance all day long. My penalty was not good enough. It should have gone in, but I will never apologize for who I am and where I came from. I felt no prouder moment than wearing those three lions on my chest and seeing my family cheer me on in a crowd of tens of thousands. I dreamt of days like this. The messages I've received today have been positively overwhelming, and seeing the response in Withington had me on the verge of tears. The communities that always wrapped their arms around me continue to hold me up. I'm Marcus Rashford, 23-year-old black man from Withington and Wythenshaw, South Manchester. If I have nothing else, I have that. For all the kind messages, thank you. I'll be back stronger. We'll be back stronger. MR10. So that is the letter read out by Chris Clefurnus, just to give you an idea of the Marcus Rashford, very public a comment about his role in England's penalty loss, shootout loss to Italy in the Euro 2020. Great words, and it certainly has gone around the world. Paul from Margaret River, he's a good listener of SEN. G'day, Goss, your words from around round five. You had a good old go at the ruse saying you probably wouldn't win a game and what a mistake it was picking up LDU at pick four as he was no good. I never said he was no good. Mentioning Oscar Allen went at 12 or around the mark. Oscar Allen's a better player than... Um, uh, Luke Davies Uniac. I'll take you that to the task anytime you like. Uh, Uniac is a, a good player and he certainly, like the rest of the group, has picked up the pieces over the last couple of weeks. Just remind yourself one thing, Paul. You are still on the bottom of the ladder. Just a small bit. You haven't won the flag. You're not going to win the flag. And I get it. You were great last night. Loved it. Loved the passion. But just back the truck up a little bit. West Coast, yep. Hats off to you. Hats off to you. And uh, it was a good win. Enjoy the win. But just be a little bit mindful where you sit. If you wake up today, the Eagles are in the eight and North Melbourne isn't. But one thing I like about you, Paulie, is you keep on messaging us. And I like that. Kelvin on the text. Kingy. This is in response to David King. Make up your mind. On one hand, you're saying West Coast need to take the approach of Sydney has and play the young blokes. And on the other hand, you're saying that Simpson should not play the young player in Edwards. No, I don't think he said that. I just I think what he was saying was, Adam Simpson won't fall for playing young Edwards for the sake of the theatre that it's going back to Adelaide where Tyson Edwards plays. That's that's the defence of that. We get confusion all year from certain umpiring interpretation, interpretations, says Kelvin. We also get confusion from supposed accurate critics. Coach of Fremantle, Justin Longmuir, has done his weekly press con- conference ahead of Thursday's clash with Geelong. How are you feeling about the ladder position at the moment? Oh, it's, it is what it is. It's a reflection of our season. Um, yeah, it just presents a great opportunity for us. Does it add any extra pressure or anything like that for you, John? <clears throat> well, it, in, a, in a way it does, but it shouldn't. Um, you know, we've been saying all along that we want to improve our footy as the season goes on, and that opportunity still presents. Um, I suppose, yeah, it does present a, a level of outcome-based focus, um, focus that... Um, we need to control. It's a it's a different situation for our playing group, and it's another challenge. Fans will be thinking, you know, finals are a possibility. You start thinking about? Not really. No, no. I think about Geelong on a, on a five day break um, at home. It's it's really really simple for our players to um, make sure they just stay um, process orientated, um, their heads in the moment on the on the job at hand. Um, it just presents a, the, the latter position presents another level of distraction that we need to handle. What is prime time for you? Are you really excited to be playing in that time slot? Oh, absolutely. Um, probably more excited about you know we get to go up against a, a really good side 
Um, we need to we need to improve against the better sides, and it's another opportunity to see how much we've progressed throughout the season. How much credit do you give to Sean Darcy? He's, he said all along he's worked off the field and now it's proving on the field. How do you feel about him at the moment? Oh, he's a key pillar of our side. Um, he's given our midfield um, a good look at ground level. And you're right, he's, he's in, his improvements come from the work he's put in off the field. He's um, here at 7 o'clock every morning, whether it's doing extra fitness work or extra work with um, Joel Corey, our midfield coach, um, and Josh Carr. So he's, he's really put in the work. The work. Um, he's reaping the benefit of that and also the benefit of the work he's put into his body to be able to play long minutes week after week. And that's something that's probably held him back in the past. And the prospect of getting tabs back in as soon as next week. How do you feel about that going into Well, It's really important for us. He's, um, he's been such a consistent player for us um, as, a, as a key forward. He takes the opposition best key back and that allows you know Lobby and Tracy to get a um, get the second and third defender and um, you know he's a really good target for our, for our small forwards to hit front and square and yeah we're looking forward to getting him back um, in good form and you know he'll be yeah hopefully a vital cog come um, back into the season. The Rory Lobs kicking routine appears to be much surer than it was last year. He's done a lot of work with David Hale, our forward line coach. Um, yeah, and it's about more momentum rather than the length. So, um, yeah, he's tried to get it, get rid of the stutter um, late last year, which he felt was um, throwing him offline and not allowing him to kick through the ball like he wanted to. Yeah, and he's done a power of work over the pre-season and, and um, early in the season to get that stutter out of his game. And it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, but, yeah, he's seems to be on top of it and kicking the ball well. What do you make of Geelong that really blown sides away a lot this year? Is there any sort of formula yeah. line to get on top of them? Oh, it's, they're a really strong contested team. They bring good heat around the ball. Um, they've got big bodies um, that we, that break tackles. So we need to get that, that, that right. Um, and they've got a really strong back six that um, you know, are able to repel opposition um, forward, forward, um, forward opportunities, so uh, we need to use the ball well going forward. Um, obviously, uh, we've got a couple of really strong targets up forward that um, they go through a lot, so yeah, they're, just, they're strong all over the field. They play a really strong contested brand, so um, they, yeah, they, they probably taught us a lesson in the contested side of the game last year in the wet, so um, it's a good opportunity to see how far we've come. 27 away from 12, 13, 12, 55 is the open line number or text 0487 736 736. Been a big show so far. Richie Smith, golf coach to the stars. Trevor Gleeson, outgoing Wildcats coach, heading to the Toronto Raptors. David King, talking all things footy. Still to come, Matt Keenan, talking about the 16th and then the 17th stage of the Tour de France, and our man Ben O'Connor is continuing to do great things. Currently fifth. Can he get on the podium by Sunday night? Now, Tyson Beattie, our star spangled banter, and also our, of course, useless AFL stats regulars on Tuesday are moving back to Wednesday. We've had such a busy show, of course, with the footy last night, hearing from Adam Simpson and the like, and also just hearing then from Justin Longmuir. So the boys have been happy to move there 
shifts back to tomorrow. So if you're an Aaron Delaport useless AFL stats fan and or, of course, Star Spangled Banter with Tyson Beattie, the boys will be part of tomorrow's show. Well, we do know that Wimbledon finished on the weekend and it finished on a high with, of course, Ash Barty taking out Wimbledon. A great moment and a great moment for her camp and a very understated coach who just sits there and has been her coach for a long time is Craig Tizer and he was the guest of Brett Phillips, first serve SEN's tennis expert. How does it all sort of feel now? Uh, what are we, nearly sort of 48 hours after? Um, I've got to say back here, Tizer still feels really surreal. Yeah, look, I think very similar. Um, you know, pretty surreal. Not sure it's really sunk in yet um, for all of us. It's been fairly hectic um, so far. Um, but, yeah, look, an amazing effort by, um, you know, the team around Ash to, to get her ready and... and to have her prepared enough to be able to play through the tournament and then to finish up the way she did was uh, pretty amazing. I mean, to win a Grand Slam, it's an absolute journey and to, to win seven matches and, and trying to peak at the right time, you know, coming in without any sort of grass court uh, leading tournaments, which is not the be-all and the end-all. Plenty of champions in the past have, you know, not played between the French and uh, Wimbledon. And obviously Ash revealed quite a bit uh, post-match on the weekend about uh, the nature of her injury and what she knew and didn't know and what was told and what wasn't told. She wanted to look at scans. She wanted sort of to, to feel it her own way physically. Everyone knows her own body. I mean, it was a, there was a bit going on, obviously, behind the scenes. Yeah, look, quite a lot. Um, you know, it was probably touch and go there for a while whether Ash would actually play. And then once the decision was made to... Um, you know, to give it a crack and just, yeah, listen to her body a bit and then the the team put together a plan um, around that and worked towards it. And, yeah, like from my side of it, tennis-wise, I felt she was, you know, pretty pretty underdone going into it. But physically, she was, she was hopefully going to be okay. And I think once we got through the first couple of matches, especially, it, it, it looked like all things had sort of worked out really well. Well, I was going to ask, actually, at what stage of the tournament did you start to feel as coach that, okay... Yeah, physically looks okay. Game starting to get into good nick, and you're looking at the draw and what's unfolding. Was there a was there a pointed moment in the tournament where you were sort of uh, sitting back, not certainly um, you know being complacent at all, but thinking that things are in pretty good order here? Um, yeah, look, probably by the middle stages, about three or four matches in, I felt like she started to to um, hit a bit of a stride with regard to her tennis. The first few matches were a bit up and down and and that was to be expected just with the amount of tennis she played going in so um, I felt she got better um, through that middle part and then you know from the the semi-final and the final were yeah pretty high standard and and probably the semi's probably the best match I've seen Ash play. Yeah and I heard you say that I mean thinking back to that when she was 2-5 down and, you know, obviously Angie Kerber being a three-time champion was always going to raise her game. And I thought Ash made the great comment that, well, Angie made me raise my game with her. And, you know, at the end of the day, she was able to erase that deficit and, and win in straight sets. But, no, I, I agree. I think everyone seems unified that that was, that was a pretty defining match. Yeah, look, absolutely. I felt, you know, Angie certainly lifted and, you know, being a, a champion at that at Wimbledon before certainly makes it tougher and I mean she's just such a good grass quarter as well that she makes it difficult for you to play and her ability to hit shots and, and play shots and she sort of showed that in that um, second set when she went up but yeah look to Ash's credit 
she stayed with her and then raised her game, you know, and on a big stage, it's a pretty amazing effort to do that. Just from a, uh, a game point of view, tell us a bit about the discussion behind the scenes. I mean, her, her serve, I mean, her first serve is obviously a, a huge weapon for her. When, when she lands that first serve, um, you know, the, the, the numbers, the percentage of points won is, is high. But the just the emphasis around the second serve, it was clear through the tournament she was probably a little bit braver and, and going for a lot more on that second serve. Can you just take us inside the sort of discussion around that? Yeah, look, I think that that sort of varies depending on who she plays. Um, you know, probably different, um, you know, serve differently against Angie than um, certainly uh, Carolina. Like, she, um, you know, is, is bigger off the ground and you've got to take more of a risk, otherwise the ball's gone back behind you, you know, before you've really hit it. So um, I think it changes match by match. That's often a bit of the discussion about how she's going to go about um, her games and what she's going to do with us uh, according to who she's playing. So, um, yeah, look, it, it, it probably was a bit scratchy in the early rounds just because she hadn't been able to serve a lot mm. um, and put a lot of time in, but it got better and better and the rhythm came back. And um, But, yeah, look, you know, some of those girls certainly put pressure on because they just returned so well. So I think she did a great job both, you know, with first and second serves throughout the tournament. Well, the Tour de France continues, and if I have got this right, Matt Keenan from SBS, our man Ben O'Connor's not going away without a fight. No, he's not, and he's sitting now in fifth position overall, and whilst he looked a little bit vulnerable a couple of times on the climb on Sunday, he was dropped, he got back on, he was dropped, he got back on, and then he decided, if you're going to keep trying to drop me, I might attack you. And he went on the charge against the yellow jersey. It was bold. (laughs) Young and stupid, I would describe that, but he's tell- he's reaping the benefits. And where does he sit in regards to time? Of course, Pogacar is the yellow jersey at the moment, but where does Ben sit in regards to even getting higher up that pecking order? Uh, he's he's not really a genuine challenger to the yellow jersey at this point. He's a little under six minutes behind mm-hmm. the yellow jersey, but there's a group of them that are you know from five to about five minutes and 58 seconds behind the yellow jersey. There's around... I think there's four of them that were within fifth, second place, and he's in that contingent. So he's racing for a spot on the podium, and that's what he's aiming for. You know, realistically, before the race got underway, I thought he was a chance for the top ten. Now I firmly believe he can hold onto a spot, in, and he's a. I think he's a thirty percent chance to make it into the top three, and it would be a huge achievement. It would. When you talk about those seconds, and you talk about fifty-five seconds or a group of four or five riders. How quickly can that change, or are they very good at protecting that type of gap? Yeah, it's it's a sort of time that it's really hard to get back, mm. but it's really easy to lose. When you hit the wall and you go hunger flat, that time can blow out really quickly, but it's really hard to claw it back. We've, we've often heard riders in the past talk about when I'm defending a time, where if, I'm not, if I'm in the front by 30 seconds, it seems really slim. If I'm behind by 30 seconds, it seems like a lot of time to make up. And that's where Ben finds himself at the moment. But, you know, what we need to keep in, in mind here is when Cadell Evans first rode the Tour de France, he was 27 or 28 years of age and he finished in eighth position. Ben O'Connor's riding the Tour for the first time. He's 25 years of age and he's currently in fifth place. I think he can hold on to fifth and he might finish even higher up. So he's got plenty still in front of him. And the other thing that's really good, 
I'd rather be worried about somebody's racing style that's too aggressive than too negative. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd like to see you get the reins on him a little bit. If you're you racing him as a horse, you get the reins on him a little bit. <laughs> but it's a great thing to be talking about, isn't it? It is. We're into stage 16, of course. It is 169 Ks, fairly hilly. What does this do to the yellow jersey contenders? Uh, who, who, is the, who are the ones we have to look out for stage 16? I don't think... I don't think the yellow jersey will be challenged on this stage. I think this will be a stage where we see a breakaway go. Um, the first 35 k's, Goss, I reckon you and I would have a little bit of fun because it's all downhill. <laughs> they make their way out of Andorra and they head across the border back into Spain. Uh, sorry, back into France. But then from that point on, we mightn't have so much fun as they go up the Calder Port, which is an 11-kilometre <laughs> climb. That We might leave that to the pros. <laughs> After that, it's a little bit lumpy. I think it'll be a breakaway. It's, uh, it's one of the ones where... You could throw up a dozen names that could potentially win the stage, which makes it really entertaining from a commentary perspective because you know, you're not walking in saying, sprint stage, Cavendish is the man to beat. Mm. Day in the mountain, everybody they can keep up with Pogacar. This is one of those days where a whole bunch of riders will be thinking, I'm a chance today. So it'll be really aggressive. I look forward to seeing it on SBS with Matt Keenan in commentary. Um, Matt, I just want to take you just to back a stage in regards to we'll have a lot of fun. I hired a bike at Rotnest about four years ago to ride to the other yeah. side of the island. I rode out. The breeze came in. I walked back. It took me two and a half How hours. How Rotnest Island? 13K uh, sort of around, I think. It takes about 13, 14K around. But to ride to the other side... It, it, it's hills, but nothing like we've seen in the Tour de France. But unfit, not a lot of gears on the bike. Uh, it wasn't a smart decision and sore behind, let me tell you, for several days. Yeah, I don't doubt it. I love that story. That's great. And when, you, when you're watching them and you can see the flags on the side of the road, how windy it is, maybe <laughs> it's a day where it's raining and then they're going up these brutal gradients and you can see on the screen it pops up. Here's the graphic for the climb. 21 kilometres, average gradient of 7%. It gives you a bit of perspective. There's some of the climbs. There was one just a couple of days ago. The climb was kilometres long. So it's a lap and a half of Rottnest Island, all uphill. <laughs> How's your backside going, Doc? <laughs> not, not flash at all. Not flash at all. Uh, just in a couple of little points that I want to um, ask you about. The fans haven't learned, have they? They still step out in front. They still get too close. They clap in the rider's face. I just get a big stick and whack them all. Oh, it drives me insane. Yeah. And what I like is when there's a bit of policing, a bit of policing, because some of the spectators get upset with the spectators. But it only takes one to spoil it. It really does. There was actually, there was a moment in the Tour of Italy earlier on this year, there was a spectator that was just way too close. At a randomly just collared this guy and thrown him off to the side. And everybody thought, oh, how good is that? It turned out that the spectator that did the collaring was the winner of the Tour of Italy from 2003. That is unbelievable. All righty. Uh, how long to go in this tour? We're up to stage 16 tonight. We'll see it on SBS, but how long to go? 21 stages. So we finish on Sunday night in Paris. There's five stages to go. This breakaway. Then we've got two massive stages in the mountains. Then a flat stage for the sprinters. Time trial. Then Paris and we find out if Ben O'Connor can reach the podium. That would be absolutely brilliant. We're cheering for him loud and clear, as we are for a number of other West Aussies who are doing their thing in the Tour de France. Matt Keenan, always enjoy our chat, mate. Looking forward to seeing it tonight on SBS. Stage 16, it goes from where to where? 
from. It starts in Andorra. I can't remember the name of the town off the top of my Pas head. Pas de la Casse. Pas de la Casse. You've got it in front of you. You've done well. Yeah. And it goes to... saint Gaudens. Yeah, saint Gaudens. saint Gaudens. Yeah, you'd think I'd know yeah. better. You know my wife's a French uh, interpreter, don't you? Oh, really? Yep. Awesome. Yep. yep. Okay, so Pas de la Casse to saint Gaudens. Yep. And then we there go we from go. Murray to saint larry Soulon something well, the key thing is in the next one, it's the Col de la Porte, which is one of the most famous climbs in, in the Tour de France, which takes them to an altitude of 2,215 metres above sea level. I think well, Mount Kosciuszko is about 1,900 metres. That's the biggest mountain that we've got in Australia. So this one goes a long way up in the air, reaching yeah. for the sky. I know there's mountains at Falls Creek, and that's where Gilly is at the moment. I'm just holding the fort without the great man. He's uh, taking the fan for a bit of skiing. Exactly right. Appreciate your time, Matty. See you tonight on SBS. Thanks, mate. Matt Keenan, Tour de France, and go Benny O'Connor. This is Sporting Goss. Welcome back. Just a reminder that tomorrow on the show, Tyson Beatty, star Spangled Banter, will join us, and Aaron Delaport, useless AFL stats. We moved them from today's show to fit in Justin Longmuir and Adam Simpson and also David King. We've had a lot on our show today. We've also chatted with Trevor Gleeson, the outgoing Perth Wildcats coach, and we're led to believe, albeit he can't say it, heading to the Toronto Raptors, according to Mark Stein, online uh, American uh, online journo, who knows his stuff, a sporting journo over there. Five championships in his eight years, one year left of a contract, but has been released, Trevor Gleeson, to chase his dream. Speaking of basketball, the Boomers, 91 to 83 winners over Team USA. Paddy Mills with 22. He spoke post-game. What were the keys to those big runs that allowed you to put this game away? Defense. All, all defense. We understand at the start of this campaign that for us to be able to be really competitive and, and achieve our goals, we need to hang our hat on the defensive end. And especially against an athletic team like obviously the US and, and getting out in transition and, and making easy layups and dunks. For us to take away that was uh, was pretty impressive for our second game, but we're not satisfied. We've got a long way to go. We can still get a, a lot better. Um, but like I said, defense is where we're going to hang our hat uh, for this whole campaign. Paddy, you lose Baines in the first in the first quarter, and and then in in the third quarter, a run spurred largely by your bench. Uh, I mean, I know you see these guys every day, and, and you know what what they're capable of, but. What, what, did you, what did you make of their impact in this game and how they helped propel you to the win? Yeah, look, we, we believe in our, our entire team, you know, and, and everyone being able to step on the floor and, and make a massive impact. Um, so guys being able to come off the bench, you know, we're, we're deep. And, and yes, not a lot of people might, might know people um, on our team, but for them to be able to come up, step up and, and make big plays, not only on defensive end, but on the offensive end with, with big shots. Um, it's just a credit to, to you know how much work that we're, we're putting in together and, and trusting and, and believing in, in one another. You know, For us to be able to achieve our goal, we're really going to need to do it together, and, and tonight was an example of that. And that goal being the first medal for the Australians in Olympic competition. Paddy, we're so close in 2016, losing that bronze medal game by just one point. What would it mean for you and your teammates to finally bring a medal to Australia in men's basketball competition? No words we'll be able to explain, mate. Um, but, but head down in the sand. We're all in the trenches together. Um, we know what it means will mean to us. We'll know what it means to our whole country. Um, we, we've got a job to do, and, and we're entirely focused on that. 
Paddy Mills, 22. Joe Ingalls, 17. Thibault, 12. Golding, 11. Nick Kay, 9. Rebounds. Jockey Landale had seven rebounds. Chris Gale, 67. Uh, he was the man of the match in game three, and it was uh, the third consecutive win for the West Indies over Australia in their T20 series. In that game, just quickly, the best of, of the Aussies with the bat on Reeks, 33. Finch, 30. Uh, Mitch Marsh failed with nine. Ashton Turner made 24. And it was Chris Gale, 67 off 38. Riley Meredith, three for 48. That's expensive. Hazelwood, none for 33. Zampa, none for 34. Both off just three overs. Thanks to Alex. Thanks to Chris Clafunas. And thank you for listening to our show. We'll do it again tomorrow. (laughs) From 10 o'clock, SEN. Stay with us, Sporting Goss. Don't forget, Thursday night footy, Geelong and Fremantle. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91